will, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles tonight. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter number 11, please. Hebrews chapter number 11. Try to give you the thought the Lord put on our heart. And uh, it'll kind of be finishing up what we started this morning and then also kind of moving in a slightly different direction as we work through these verses of Scripture. I run into something here that I feel like the Lord would have me to deal with. While I am in these scriptures, let me say that the uh, Lord worked in our heart as we were dealing with these scriptures to look uh, at the revelation of the faith of these individuals. These individuals in Hebrews chapter number 11 uh, is no doubt uh, revealing to us uh, some particular things that the Lord is, is drawing our attention to uh, through the lives of these individuals. Uh, but uh, while I am dealing with Moses, I kind of got uh, a thought that the Lord uh, placed upon my heart. I kind of want to just camp out here tonight, if the Lord would help us, and uh, get, a, get, a, get a thought uh, that the Lord has placed on our heart to you, if, if I would be able to do that. And then we will start next, uh, next Sunday that I am here uh, and pick back up with uh, Abraham and Sarah as we deal with these individuals and look at what their faith is is revealing to us. But we want to look this morning or this evening uh, in verses number six and seven. And if you will, I invite you to stand with us for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. I ask that you'd pray with us uh, and for us tonight as we uh, endeavor to try to bring you the thought that God has placed on our heart. Verse six of Hebrews chapter number 11 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You can be seated. Lord, help us. We do ask now, as we look into the word of God, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is the working of the Holy Ghost of God. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And amen. So this morning we were looking into the life of Moses and we've seen in Genesis chapter 6 and uh, verse number 8 that Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was saved for one reason and that's that God didn't kill him. That's the only reason Noah was alive. You say, well, Noah was alive because he was righteous. Well, no, that's not why Noah was alive. It was counted to Noah righteousness because Noah believed what God said and acted upon God's word, okay? And we know that faith is believing what God says. It's trusting God and taking God at his word. That's what faith is. And so Noah was saved because God didn't kill him. Noah deserved to die because he was a, a sinner. You say, how so? Moses didn't die because he believed God's word and he verifies to us his belief because he put it into action. There was a result of the faith that Moses had. Now we understand today that uh, Genesis 6 and 9, uh, we, we see these are the generations of Noah. And the Bible said Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. And that's not perfect in the sense of sinless perfection. That's perfect in the sense of upright or sincere. The same way that we find that Job 
was a perfect man who feared God and eschewed evil. Job wasn't a perfect man. Job was a man that was sincere and his heart was towards God. Now you're going to find we've been dealing a lot lately with the motivation of the heart. And the motivation of the heart, quite frankly, friend, is everything. Uh, the motivation of your heart, if it's towards God, will produce fruit. And a lot of times we deal with those fruits, but it should go back and the root should be where the heart is at. Now the heart is deceitful, above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, God can know it. All right, and so the Bible says here in Genesis 6 and 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. But Genesis 7 and 1 said, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. What's that mean? How so? Because he yielded himself and concerned himself with God, what God thought, what God wanted. And uh, he was willing to listen to God and take God at his word. But Noah was still a sinner. Noah was still a sinner. If Noah, was, if, if, if Noah made it on the ark because of sinless perfection, Noah would have perfected himself and been sinless. But we find that brother Noah comes off that ark. And what do we find? That happens almost immediately. Oh, brother Noah finds himself in sin. So undoubtedly, Noah wasn't sinless and perfect. Noah was a sinner saved by grace. That simple, okay? And so what does that mean? It just means that Noah and Noah's little family was the only people in a day of wickedness that yielded themselves to what God said. Now where are we at today? There's just a fraction of people in a world of rebellion and negligence that are willing to yield themselves to what God says and to take God at his word and trust and believe what God says. All right? So we find here that Noah's righteousness isn't what saved him. Grace saved him. The fact that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord means he received something, quite frankly, that he did not deserve. Noah wasn't any more deserving of this salvation than any other individual upon the face of the earth. The only difference here is this one man decided that he would take God at his word and he feared God, something that everyone else did not do. But that did not make Noah perfect. It made Noah just as much a sinner as everyone else. Now let me remind us, I don't think we have to go here very deep tonight, but with, just in case you don't know it, we're all sinners tonight, saved by his marvelous grace. And my wife and I were talking before we come over here, sometimes, you know, you don't feel worthy to do certain things. Why? Because I know me. And I hate to tell you, but if you knew everything about me, you might not want me to preach. And if I knew everything about you, I might not want you to sit here. But thanks be unto God, I'm not airing out my life to you. I've aired it out to God, praise the Lord. And I'm a sinner saved by grace. And uh, if anybody comes in here tonight and thinks they're worthy of doing one tiddlywink for the glory and for the honor of God, you need to get on the altar and ask God to forgive you because our righteousness stunk. And so Moses, no, Moses, Noah didn't get on that ark because of his righteousness. It was counted unto him righteousness because he trusted God. And he gave his and he gave himself to what the Lord said. The de very definition of grace ought to tell us that. 
Because we know that grace is unmerited favor. It's something that is not deserved. God knew Noah didn't deserve to be on the ark. Here's what's amazing to me, Brother Marvin. God knew that when he invited Noah and his family onto the ark, and he shut the door, and he sealed the door, so that what was outside could not get in, and what was inside could not get out, that there was still coming a day when Noah was going to sin. And why is it that God just wanted uh, repented and just wanted to destroy the earth? Because evil was on the heart of man continually. But if Noah was a sinner and so was everybody else, what was the problem? God was tired of people not yielding themselves to him. Or listening to what he had to say with regard. But Noah listened to what God had to say with regard. And the only difference is, is Noah was saved by the same grace that would have been extended to everyone else if they'd have only yielded. And so God would have left, uh, would have, would have, would have offered the same thing to them that He offered to Noah if they'd have only been willing to yield to what God said. Okay. So grace is unmerited favor, and unmerited means undeserving. And Noah, we understand, found grace in the eyes of God, not because he was deserving of it, but because he was one man that said, I will hearken unto what thus saith the Lord God. I will fear the Lord. And in faith, believing and taking God at his word, I'll do what he says. It's that simple. Okay? That's why we're saved by grace through faith. It is grace that I'm saved today. But grace alone don't get me saved. God sent Jesus and Jesus died, but Jesus dying alone is not what gets me saved. I have a part to play. What is that? My part's the faith part, the believing part, the taking God at his word part. Jesus died for whosoever will, but not everybody's going to heaven because not everybody will yield and listen to what God says without any regard. So at this time, please take your Bibles to Romans 3 and you can mark your place in Hebrews 11. I want to I want to look at something here in Romans chapter number 3. Now, I want to tell you, give you a little bit of backdrop to this particular chapter right here. Romans chapter 3, as it begins, is a response to something we find in Romans chapter number 2. So the beginning of Romans chapter number 3 is not so much a continuation, although it is, but it's an answer to something. It starts out here uh, with a question. Now it would be like Brother Marvin asking me, what'd you have for dinner last night? And me looking at Marvin going, what did I have for dinner last night? That's kind of the way this starts. Uh, Paul is responding to a question. And so he's repeating the question and then he answers it. And so chapter 3 of Romans says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Now this is a question, it's a response to the statement we find in Romans 2 and 29 that the circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the, uh, in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so we find that the Jews doing what? The Jews falling on tradition, looking at law. We find that in the book of Hebrews that if you'll remember, the writer, which I personally believe it to be Paul, I can't back that up, but the, the, the writer is writing to a Jew, the saved Jews, who was leaning and falling back into apostasy. That, that's what Hebrews is all about. Now we do know the Bible's written for us all, but the, the book was written to the Jew who was going apostate. 
And right here we find in Romans chapter number 3 that the Jew here is, is leaning on something. And, and the Jew saying here uh, in, in verse number 1, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of the circumcision? Now, notice the, 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 the gospel was, was going to go to the Jew and the Gentile alike. But understand the Jews trying to figure out well, what, what profit is it for me to be a Jew and have these things. You're tearing down everything I believe in. You're tearing down everything I think. And listen, the Bible has a way of tearing down every man-made thing you believe in. All right? But that's what, and, and listen, it do us good sometimes to be like the Jew and say, what good is it for me to do this? Or what good is it for me to do that? It'd be good to question some of those things occasionally. God might just ring your doorbell and answer your question. But notice, if you will, here, the Bible says, What advantage hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Notice the response. Much every way. Now, think about this with me for just a moment. Faith what? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Now pay attention for just a moment. The Jew is advantaged, but not in his desire to try to, to be circumcised or do something that the Gentile doesn't do. Look how the, what the response is of Paul. What advantage hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. Chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. What advantage does the Jew have for being a Jew? They had God's word. Now what advantage do you and I have today over a lost and dying world? We have God's word. A, a word that most people disregard. But Noah, Noah was, was counted unto him righteous just as it was Abraham because of what? He believed God and took God simply at God's word. So the Jew, although they had some things that they thought set them apart from the Gentile and give them status, it wasn't that that put them above the Gentile. It was though that Paul saying, one advantage you had that the Gentile didn't was you being a Jew had the word of God. Man, we're, we, we're privileged tonight to have God's word, but I'll tell you something, we are doubly accountable because of it too. So the Bible says here much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Question again. Here again, Brother Marvin said, what did you have for supper? And I said, what do, you, what, do, what do I have for supper? It's like a back and forth. This chapter starts out like a dialogue, if you will. So this Jew's understanding or the Jew's understanding that they are, they are privileged to have had the word of God, to know what God says about something. They're not walking around in the dark. Hey, what are we talking about? We don't walk by, by sight. We walk by faith, but we walk by faith seeing and believing because we have the word of God. We're seeing through the eyes of God. What a privilege it is tonight to have that. But the Bible says here, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Here's what the Jews say. And say, well, we were advantaged to have God's word but what if part of the Jews don't believe God's word? You'll find that the Jews, uh, the children of Israel, all the time disregarded God's word. This Jews say unto Paul in, in not so many words, he said, look, you're telling me I have an advantage. 
And my advantage isn't circumcision. It's not the law. My advantage is though that I had God's word and I knew what God wanted. But what happens if part of the Jews decided that they do not want to do what God says? Look what Paul says. It's amazing. Listen, my relationship to God is not and will never be contingent upon Marvin Titlow's relationship to God. My relationship and my status spiritually with the Lord is not contingent upon Brother Shane or Brother Ray or Brother Donnie or Brother Isaac. It's just not. It's between me and God. It's personal. Look what, what Paul says. God forbid. This Jew's questioning, what if the other Jews just disregard God? Essentially, he's wanting to know if part of the Jews disregard God. Will God disregard all of the Jews? Will God turn his back on the entire people of God if part of them don't do? Look what, look what happens here. God forbid. Yea, let God be true. And every man a liar. In other words, you might turn your back on Almighty God. God ain't going to turn his back on you. Now, God did put the children of Israel through some things or allow them to go through some things, allowed them to take themselves down a the road they were taking themselves, that he might draw them back, though. Not that he might throw them away, but that he might get their attention. But there is coming a day for those that reject God's word and reject God's son. If you don't wake up, if you don't accept him, if you don't take him as your own, friend, there is a day of judgment out there when Noah's boat will be done, so to speak, uh, and the rains and the judgment of God will come, so to speak, uh, and it'll be over. But God's making provision. And what he's saying here, Paul's saying, God forbid, you let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and might us overcome when thou art judged. I want to say to you that Noah was saved, whether anyone else was or not, because he believed God. And whether anybody else ever accepts Christ or not, if you're lost and undone, don't know him in the free pardon sin, you can be saved. You can have a relationship with God. You can please God if nobody else does. You can walk with God if nobody else does. Noah walked with God. Noah was pleasing to God. What pleases God is us just saying, God, I am listening to what you say. I'm regarding it as truth and I'm moving upon it because I'm taking you at your word. That pleases God. So Noah was saved whether anyone else was or not because he believed God, not because he was righteous. He was called righteous because he believed God. But Noah was a sinner when he built the boat. Noah was a sinner while he was in the boat. Noah was a sinner after he got off the boat. And he was a sinner that believed God. You understand that. And Noah had faith, and faith is taking God at his word. Now, I want you to notice something here. It's interesting because we, we reference here Romans 14, which yet again is a chapter that you don't find a lot of preaching done in context or in entirety. You don't find a lot of expositional preaching out of Romans chapter number 14. Why? Because it destroys a lot of things. Tears down a lot of ideologies. 
destroys a lot of ideas, puts a lot of pooch lips on a lot of good Baptists. And so they don't, a lot of preachers can't preach on that chapter. But Noah had faith. Faith is taking God at his word. But Romans 14 and 23 tells us something. Very interesting. Verse 23 of Romans 14 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. Listen to this statement. Let this sink in tonight. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What is faith? What is faith tonight? Faith is taking God at his word. Why is it that Noah being a sinner was saved by grace, but those that were sinners were damned and judged? Because they did not accept what God said. Grace was extended, but faith wasn't implemented. God made provision, preaching was done, the boat was finished, and people died and were judged because they did not yield and have faith in the word that was sent. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Does that mean tying your shoe or latching your, your belt? Is that sin? Because it's not of faith? That's not what the Bible's saying. It's saying here that, that uh, if you disregard God's word, then you are sinning. So that's what that verse means. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Sin is a disregard to God's word. Go back to the very first time we see it in the garden. Where, where was this matter of knowledge of sin? Where did it start? It started when mankind disregarded God's word. Did not take God's word for what God's word had to say, but allowed someone to come in and add to and take away from. And you can add a little to and take a little away, and that's something that's a lot of good independent Baptists like to do. They like to add a little or take a little away. We like to get so sanctified we add to God's Word sometimes and make it say things we don't need to make it say. Sometimes we get a little sinful and a little liberated and we uh, take away some things out of God's Word that God's Word does say. And when you do that, friend, you're going to sin. So the Bible says here, sin is, or, sin is a disregard to God's word because for whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Noah was saved by regarding God's word. He wasn't saved because he had achieved a level of perfection with God. God amazingly enough brought the judgment upon the world because of their sin, but God spared Noah knowing that Noah was a sinner who regarded God. God also saved the man that after having been saved on the ark would find himself having sinned yet again. I got news for you. You got to repent of your sin, but you're not sinless and you're not perfect tonight. And you're going to find yourself having to come to an old-fashioned altar or get out on your knees in your private place or crawl in your prayer closet and talk to God about you yourself because you are still a sinner in need of a Savior and you are nothing apart from God. So Hebrews was written, we understand, to Jews who were falling into apostasy. What does that mean? They weren't regarding God's word in its entirety. They were adding to what God expected. Now, notice, if you will, uh, the, the, <laughs> the Jew was trying to put themselves back under the law. They were trying to add the law to grace. They were mixing the two together in, in, in certain instances. But they were not taking God at his word. 
And taking God at his word is why Noah lived and others did not. Now, Revelation chapter number 21, turn with me there for just a moment. And I'm trying to hurry. I've had to give you most of this introduction to get to where I'm wanting to be right now. Revelation chapter number uh, 21 and verse number 8. The Bible says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Now, what did the Bible say? Let God be true and every man a liar. Notice, if you will, the issue um, in Revelation 21 and 8 isn't just fearful or, or abominable or murderers or whoremongers or sorcerers or idolaters, you know, things me and you might look at and go, ooh, that's not good. But the Bible then couples it all together and says, and all liars. What, what is a liar? Now, now look here. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. All unbelievers are liars. Let me, let me, let me show that to you. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever what? Believeth, right? Believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 and 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed. Believing is everything, right? In the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's a disregard for what God says. It's a, it's a disregard for what God instituted. And so 1 John 5 and 10 says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not hath made him a liar. So if you believe not, you're calling God a liar. Now listen here. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. We, if we don't believe God and take God at his word, we might as well look God dead in the eye and say, you're a liar. That's bold. Now, I wouldn't go up to Brother Shane Unless I had hard facts, look him in the eye and say, Shane Bullock, you're a liar. I need hard facts to go against what it is that maybe he said to me. And it's just using this for an example. He hasn't lied to me or anything like that. I'm just saying. It could be Mark. It could be anybody. If I was going to look Brother Ray in the eye and say, you're a liar, I'd need some hard facts to back up what I'm saying. Friend, we ain't got hard facts when it comes to looking at God and saying, you're a liar. But I'm telling you right now, it's bold to look God in the eye and call him a liar and say, I wouldn't do that. Well, if you don't believe his word, friend, and you don't take him at his word, you might as well do that. So look here. The Bible says here, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Why? Because he believeth not. Believing not is all it takes to call God a liar. Now, Hebrews 6 and 17 says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise 
uh, the immutability of his counsel uh, uh, confirmed by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation to have fled for refuge to uphold the hope that is set before us. It is impossible for God to lie. Why? God had to trust his own self. God had to swear by his own self. You understand, we looked at Abel in Hebrews chapter Abel in Hebrews chapter number 11, and what did he do? He brought a lamb. What's that signifying? That only the lamb could please God. And Isaiah 53 tells us he was a lamb, as a lamb led to the slaughter. A sheep before his shears is done. God can only please God. And so right here, by not believing God, you're calling him a liar. But we see in Hebrews 6, it is impossible for God to lie. Now here's the interesting thing about this. The Bible says, let God be true. And every man a liar. We'd be better off to see each other and ourselves as the liars. As the one that don't meet up. But never to look at God and accuse God of being a liar. And let me tell you how God sees it. This is his book. It's his word. And God's telling you through his word tonight that if you don't believe what he says, you're calling him a liar. That ought to scare, that ought to scare you to death. It ought to scare every one of us. It ought to scare us out of our shoes tonight. The God of heaven, to call him a liar. That's, that's bold. That's, that's bold. What is that, though? What is, what is it to call God a liar, Brother Marvin? It's blasphemy. It's absolute blasphemy to call God a liar. What is blasphemy? What is it to blaspheme? It's to revile or speak reproachfully of God. What is the Spirit of God? He, the Spirit of God, is the third person of the triune Godhead. Now, follow me here. This, this is a little complicated, but it's really not all that deep. We just don't put it all together in its entirety. It's blasphemy to call God a liar. Now, no man cometh unto the Father, the Lord said, Jesus, but by me. If we're going to get to God, we get to God through Jesus Christ the Son. No, but no man cometh unto me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him. So how do we get to God? We get to God through Jesus, but we don't, we don't, uh, we have to do it through what? The Bible says here that, that no man cometh unto me except the Father which sent me. Draw him. We get to God through Jesus, but we won't go to Jesus unless God calls for us. How's God call for us? Through the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God. John 16 uh, verse 8 says, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. You know what God done? God made provision for you to get to him through Jesus by way of the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God. That one that we have the witness in ourselves when we put our faith and hope and trust in him. So having said that, then how, how, how do we, and now listen, reprove is to convince of a fault or manifest. So what's the spirit of God doing? When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. He's manifesting 
what sin is and what it does and what we need to do about it. He's revealing to us for the shame that we are a sinner. I didn't get saved until I realized I was a sinner. I didn't call on God until I first realized I was lost. I didn't need to be found until I realized I was lost. And listen, we, we, sin still needs to be preached on today. People don't get saved until they know they're a sinner. We can love them and we need to love them and we like them loving them a lot of times, but we still got to preach on sin. So the Holy Spirit of God, we know, was sent to us. Jesus said, the Comforter won't come unless I go to the Father. But if I go to the Father, the Comforter will come. All right, so the Spirit of God comes by God. But preaching the word coincides with the drawing of the Spirit because he can swear by none greater than himself. This is his word. So we preach his word. He, he would swear by none greater than himself. He won't draw by no other way than himself. So that's why God chose the foolishness of preaching. But we preach what? What thus saith the Lord? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So as we look at this, we, we find something interesting. Luke 12, 10, this is where I'm wanting to go tonight. And I really just wanted to finalize and make this point. And so I guess I've done a lot of preaching just to get to one point. But that's what the Lord laid on my heart. Luke 12 and 10 tells us, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Let me read that one more time. I heard pages turning. I want to make sure you get this. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Now we've just looked at this unforgivable sin. This sin that a lot of people can't explain. This thing that causes a lot of people to lose sleep at night thinking if they do this one thing, whatever this one thing is, that God can never forgive them for it and surely they might never get saved or they might fall from grace, Brother Marvin, and they might lose what God gave them. That's not what this means. It's not at all what this means. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but unto him that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Let me read it to you in Mark 3 and 29. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. doesn't say shall not be forgiven. It says hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now listen, being damned and being in danger of being damned isn't the same thing. So what's happening here is whosoever blasphemes, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. It means that if you're blaspheming against the Holy Ghost, you've not been forgiven. And you're in danger of damnation. But to be in danger of something isn't the same as being condemned and damned. So to be in danger of something means you might be wise to turn your tail around and head the other direction. So what does this mean? This means that, that this isn't something that means you can never be saved. It means that if you are blaspheming the Holy Ghost of God, you're not getting saved. What is blaspheming the Holy Ghost of God? Now, now follow me here for just a minute. It's blasphemy to call God a liar. What does God do? 
He draws through the Spirit of God coupled with the Word of God. When you disregard God's Word, you're not believing Him. When you're not believing Him, you're calling Him a liar. And let God be true and every man a liar. Alright, so God's not a liar for it's not possible, according to Hebrews 6, that God can lie. When you call God a liar by disobeying His Word and disregarding His Word, not having faith that what He says is the truth, then you are doing what? Blaspheming the Holy Ghost of God. What it is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God is simply this. Not taking God at His Word. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And sin not only will put you on a fast road to hell, it'll keep you there. Now follow me here for just a moment. He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but in danger of eternal damnation. Do you know what happened day by day by day when Noah, that preacher of righteousness, cut with the saw and hammered the wooden pegs in and when he was working and measuring and engineering and trying to build scaffolding and he was doing all he could to build this boat that God told him to make. Every day, Brother Shane, people come by and they blasphemed God. Why? They didn't take God at his word. There was preaching. Lots of years of preaching. Did Noah preach righteousness? But there was just simply a disregard for God's word. You know what blaspheming God is this? It's simply this. Disregarding God's word. You know how you go to hell? By disregarding God's word and not taking God's word as it says. You know all I had to do to get saved was believe. Man, it ain't complicated today. It's simple. And you know what will send me to hell? Not believing Jesus died for me. There's a lost and dying word out there today that's blaspheming the Spirit of God. There's people in the house of God that sit under sound preaching. The Spirit of God has wooed them to repentance. In their pride, they wouldn't come. In their pride, they wouldn't come to an altar. They wouldn't get right with God. They weren't willing. So do you have to go to altar to get saved? No, but you'd have, to be, you'd have to be willing to, I think. If you weren't willing to, there'd be pride in your heart. So what, what are you saying? I'm saying you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost of God. You're calling him a liar. You're saying no. God's not a liar. It's impossible for God to lie. But we're liars. How many times have you called yourself a Christian today? How many times have you said, I go to church at Mount Tabor Baptist Church, but find that you've mashed your finger and said something you shouldn't say? All the time. All the time we find that there's instances and things in our life that we fall short. Man, I'm glad I ain't putting my faith in you. And you better be glad tonight you ain't here putting your faith in me. But we can all be glad tonight that we're putting our faith in him. The one that keeps us, that put us in the boat, that sealed the door shut, that kept all harm from us. Essentially put today, friend, all it is is to blaspheme God. The unforgivable sin is to not take God at his word. God can't forgive you if you won't take him at his word. Why? God's holy. And if God was going to compromise on his holiness, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to come. 
And he made a lot of provision. And he sent Jesus. But even sending Jesus and giving grace, you still have to accept the grace through faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the day you decide that you're going to disregard God's word is the day that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God. And God can't forgive you whether you're saved or whether you're unsaved. He can't forgive you of your sin till you take God at his word. Let me ask you a question tonight. I'm done. Let's all stand on our feet. Sister, if you'll come to the piano, just play something softly for just a moment. If you found yourself at any time, as of late, disregarding God's word. Not, just not taking him at his word. Adding something to or taking away from. You know, when you have to add something to what God says, you're not taking him at his word. You're taking yourself at your word. And when you take away from God's word to please yourself, you're not taking him at his word. You're taking yourself at your word. I wonder tonight how many of us have, have, could be honest tonight and just get right and say, I, I, I've disregarded God. I haven't taken God entirely at what he said. And let me tell you what that, what, that, what, let me tell you what that means. That means that you have looked God in the eye and you've called him a liar. If you've called God a liar today, friend, you better apologize to him over that. Then you better get up from there and determine that you are going to take God at his word. Trust God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Because Noah didn't get where he got because of everything he done. Noah got where he got because he trusted God. We ain't going to get anywhere, friend, if we don't take God at his word and trust his word entirely. But I'm thankful tonight we have it. And just like what Paul told the Jew over there in Romans chapter number 3, you were privileged to have it. That's what profit it was for you to be a Jew. What profit is us tonight, uh, has been given us tonight to have the Bible, to be a Christian, to have his book, to know what it says, and then to live by it. Friend, there's joy in living for the Lord and following his word. And I assure you, and even through the hard times, I'd say Noah had some nights where his back hurt, Brother Shane. I'd say his shoulders did too. Say his legs got weak. But boy, I'd say it was worth it when he got on that boat. Minding God, friend, pays dividends. I wonder if you'd just do business with God while she plays.